welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, Sitting here with Sam Ziggy Rodriguez. That's me. I'm so glad you're here, Sam. I'm so glad I'm here, too. Because we are, we are announcing something really special here at the Catholic Cafe. We are going to do a series. Ooh. It's a series. We need a series theme. Oh. Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> Catholic Cafe series. Yeah, see, that's our, that's our series theme here at the Catholic Cafe. And we're going to do one on feminism. Um, and... Uh, and now neither of us know anything about feminism, so so we brought we brought in an expert. Yes, uh, and I shouldn't say we don't know anything about feminism. We know a little bit about feminism, but we wanted to bring in a feminine voice here, and we have Leah Jacobson. Leah, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, I'm incredibly happy to be here with you guys. This is gonna be fun. Well, Leah is uh, uh, she's a wife and mother of seven. She's from central Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I said, did I say it right? Yeah, no, you got it. Minnesota. <laughs> she came here with a whole bag of books that she wrote. You know? I, <laughs> a I did. A bag? I got my bag with me. <laughs> That's exactly right. And uh, she's also the CEO and founder of the Guiding Star Project, which is an amazing thing that's going on that's Aww, uh that's hitting you. hitting the world right now which is we're really excited uh and in memphis tennessee we have a guiding star you got a location. brand new one yeah you, you which is awesome just opened up during covid you yeah. know in fact we should probably just take a few seconds and, and just tell people what the guiding star project is real yeah quick. yeah well the guiding star project was born out of my time as a campus minister actually working with young women at the university of minnesota duluth it came during those very early years of my motherhood as I welcomed my first few children and conversations with college-aged women realizing they didn't know a lot about their fertility or their bodies, uh, pregnancy, breastfeeding, all that stuff was really kind of scary and overwhelming. And that's where Guiding Star was born, um, in an Adoration Chapel, St. Mary's Star wow. of the Sea, uh, yeah, Duluth, Minnesota one night. I thought I was going back to school to become a nurse <clears throat> midwife. God in adoration just said no <laughs> when I asked for a blessing upon my plans, and He said, "I have something else in mind for you." And well, so, that's that's absolutely wonderful, and it just the premise of it is so and so needed in our culture today, and it's kind of like <clears throat> paralleled to what we're actually talking about today uh, and our yeah. this this series of six episodes that we're going to do here at the Catholic Cafe, kind of focused on. Feminism, the new feminism, the old feminism. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with that, and what what's going on in the world? Uh, mm-hmm. And and there are a lot of things that this is going to this the series is going to touch upon. So I I encourage you guys to uh, to hang in there and and listen to these uh, because uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground. Fun fact: Guess who replaced Leah at uh, the campus minister position at University of Minnesota Duluth? Who's that? A young upstart named Father Mike Schmitz. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Wow! Yeah. Did he did he get in there and find out his shoes like didn't they like he couldn't fit your shoes? Well, they had heels, so he was like, "I got to change shoes completely." Just leave, yeah. <laughs> right. That's a good. That's a good point. I, uh, but all that aside, we we're gonna uh, we're just gonna kick this series off, uh, kind of talking about um, uh, f- uh, feminism. You know, as it was and feminism as it needs to be yeah. a, a little bit um, and and really kind of tie that to the message of John Paul II who had lots to say about feminism about yeah. about the feminine genius about 
uh, about women, about gender, about uh, all the things that are really like in the front and center yeah. uh, of the world today. And I, I do want to mention, and we'll mention it again uh, in this episode and the future ones, that Leah has a brand new book that's out. I do. Called Holistic Feminism. Yeah. And the, the subtitle is Healing the Identity Crisis Caused by the Women's Movement. Uh, so uh, Holistic Feminism is something that you'll be able to get at lumenpress.org. It's also going to be on Amazon. Um, and also, if you want to find out more about the Guiding Star Project, go to guidingstarproject.com, right? Yeah, so. thank you for that wonderful shout out. Thank you so much. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that was really, really helpful. I think a lot of people have not yet heard what we're doing with Guiding Star. And um, I personally feel like this is one of the main ways that the women of the church can be bringing the truth of our beauty, of our feminine goodness, our feminine genius to the world is by celebrating the female body through women's health care. Amen. And what's also beautiful about it and why it's, I think it's so apropos for today is that it's not specifically a a Catholic program. It's not no. like you mm-hmm. uh, you know only uh, accessible by Catholics and, and promoted by Catholics. Um, it's something that, that speaks to... Um, uh, well, holistic feminism, to use your term, mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, it, it's the uh, sacred beauty, mm-hmm. right? Natural yep. law, yep. Uh, all the things that the Catholic Church espouses, right? Mm-hmm. Revealed by God, uh, but it applies to everyone. So it's absolutely, it's, and they're they're not judgmental. They don't. Uh, you don't have yeah. to have your Catholic card to get in. No. Nope. Uh, in fact, it's not even marketed specifically as a Catholic. Uh, entity. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm a huge fan of John Paul II's Theology of the Body, and I think that was probably one of the most influential uh, documents, that along with Evangelium Vitae and Molieris Dignitatum from the Holy Father, when he spoke about these really special, unique characteristics of the female and how necessary they are in the life of the church and why we are living in a culture of death is really that you know, motherhood and femininity in many ways has been lost, and that woman has lost her identity. She has lost her sense of uh, of what she can on- only she can give to the world. What only she can give to the world has been lost in many ways, and so. And you know what? It's more than lost. It's really been given away. You're right. I mean, I think people have started now to the point where maybe it was lost, maybe it was kind of hidden, maybe it was, mm-hmm. and maybe there was an agenda afoot mm-hmm. right early on uh, with. Uh, uh, Madeline O'Hare and some of these people who, mm-hmm. in, in, in their view of feminism and what it was supposed to be, mm-hmm. maybe there was an underlying agenda of of stripping the woman of her uniqueness and her beauty, but now it's like people freely give that away and say, I, I don't desire that, which is really scary. No, I think you're right. I think that there has been a, a loss of the sense of its importance and its uniqueness, and so there's been it's hard sometimes to be a woman in this world and it's not always comfortable the way the world is set up that you embrace your female body and your fertility and so it's easier in so many ways to fit almost a male normed culture and society because what we hold up as successful is what we hold up to young women as desirable uh, is career it is you know productivity it's these marks that are actually very masculine in many ways Um, the feminine heart is much more receptive it's Mm. much more um, you know, hospitality-based, relationship-based, and those aren't the things that are always considered, you know, desirable uh, in our culture. And so, in many ways, a lot of women have suppressed almost their natural gift in order to be successful, in order to fit into the expectation of our culture. And 
so much has been lost in our, our physical motherhood, our spiritual motherhood, and we're seeing a culture that has uh, lost that personalization for the other. We're not seeing the needs of others around us. Um, we're, not, um, we're not mothering. We're not loving right. in the way that only a mother can love the undesirable or the, the inconvenient. Um, you know, the mark of a mom is that person who's completely annoyed. <laughs> and the kid is in the background, mom, 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 mom. And, and you turn and you look and you see them. You see the other always. Uh, and that's been lost you in know, many ways. And, and again, that's not just an unfortunate circumstance. Because paralleling that, um, there's also uh, another, you know, we'll just say a cosmic tragedy of... Uh, the opposite is also happening in masculinity, mm. right? There's, yeah. It's been called toxic masculinity. So yeah. anything that is like if the guy wants to open the door for the girl, mm. that's toxic mas- masculinity. And so that should be shunned and, mm. and, and that's bad. It's, it's, and it's like you don't know where to look, right? Yeah. You don't know where to look for any kind of uh, 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 goals or um, uh, ideals or what am I shooting for? What should I be? Mm-hmm. Because it's like there's nothing that's sure anymore, right? Because women, um, I, I and I, I, you know, in the in the business world, right? If if two people are doing the same job, you want them to get the same equal pay, and that's true. And I agree with that 100. percent The problem is um, that women, I think, sometimes start to set their goals to be like men, yep. to be as good as men. And and I'm going to tell women something. Maybe they don't know that it's like like I view women as better than men. Oh sure, it's like you don't don't set your goals so low <laughs> to be like men. And and, and I you know th- th- there's something beautiful about the complementarity right of the man and the woman, and it it goes all the way back to our creation. There's something beautiful about that. But if you set your goal to be like only this high, mm-hmm. right? No one's ever going to get way up there. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Pope John Paul II, it might have been in love and responsibility, but he uh, identified women woman as the archetype of the human race mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, they were... They rep- uh, the woman represents, you know, in her receptivity, and including a receptivity uh, to God, you know, that there that that is, you know, God in crafting woman who is crafting his bride and that men, you know, we can try to imitate Christ and try to, uh, you know, welcome Christ to incarnate himself within us and and try to to, to do what we can to, to, to live in the fullness of, of, of his image. But there's something unique and special about just how he created woman and as being just a symbol of, of, of what he desired, you know, in terms of the perfections of humanity. Yeah. I think that point that I was kind of getting to a little bit there on the, every human heart, you know, desires to be seen. It's um, St. Augustine mm-hmm. um, actually has a quote. I think the, the deepest desire of the human heart is to see another and to be seen. Mm-hmm. And really when you talk about the woman as archetyped of God, you know, who sees us, the father, the father sees us as we truly are, are made. He knows our identity better than we know ourselves. We spend our whole life uncovering who he created us to be. The woman in her unique motherhood of carrying this child within her, um, you know, even not even physical mothers, women have a natural knack as spiritual mothers to see the other, to see their dignity, to see their personhood. And Speaking so, of God seeing us or mm-hmm. seeing the woman especially, mm-hmm. there's a scene in The Chosen that I think was very impactful to you. I and love The Chosen. I cannot believe you guys have not seen this episode. <laughs> oh, just put us on blast. Okay. I, <laughs> That's right. Listeners, we haven't seen it. <laughs> 
but we're going to. We promise. <laughs> we would do. Uh, no. This is a binge culture, <laughs> and I'm waiting to have the available space because yeah. I cannot wait. And I also want to make sure all the episodes have dropped so I don't have to wait. I'm not a waiter. I'm so impatient. It will not be us who has chosen the chosen. It will be the chosen who has chosen us. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful, Sam. Tell me about that scene in The Chosen that you love so much. No, I, I was sharing this with you prior to the conversation here a little bit about I love the scene with Mary Magdalene. It's in the first season, the episode. I might be episode two, maybe three. It's pretty early on where you don't even know it's Mary Magdalene necessarily because she keeps being referred to and called Lilith. Um, everyone is calling her Lily or Lilith, and she's just living this miserable life. She's, you know, living as a prostitute, and she's got these outbursts of demonic um, activity, like overcoming her, and she's miserable. And it's as she's going off to, you know, end her life, she can't handle this any longer. Um, Jesus comes up behind her and just says, "Mary," and it's that profound moment of, I mean, the cinematography, the production of the Chosen is just top notch, so well done. And it's she stops in the camera, just that close up on her face. The actress does a phenomenal job of just that moment of, I am seen, and he knows me. And she turns and looks, and, you know, do I know you? That sort of interaction. And he just embraces her and like, I, I know you. And he stripped away this false identity, this uh, lifestyle that she was living. You know, she was defining herself in many ways by her sin at this moment. Right, so her, her Lilith name really is essentially, it's the false her. It's it not is. the real her. Well, it's, and it's actually, it's a demon, you know. Uh, it is. Yeah. And even exorcists even talk about, like, uh, like on YouTube, like prominent Catholic exorcists talk about the prominence of uh, exorcisms in which the demon is, re- is revealed to be exactly that. Yeah. And that's a, it is a, certainly a scary thing. But the, uh, the key here, I think, is the fact that she was identifying herself as Lilith. I mean, as yeah. something other than what, what she is or who she well, is. It was a, uh, the reason I bring up demons is... They all get their their life out of a lie, and so she had given herself and her identity. She had traded her identity for a lie. Yeah, essentially. Now you're exactly right, but well, how beautiful that that Jesus would see right through that and go to the very core of who she actually is, mm-hmm. right? And and then to reveal that to her. Yeah, the the episode is just so powerful, you know. And then as the season progresses, you see Mary Magdalene, you know, becoming who she was created to be, becoming this woman of faith and beauty, and just you know, coming alive with her friendship with Jesus as she accompanies him. Um, but it, it's just so striking, you know, that she had been introducing herself and living under this name of Lilith. It, right? Does Lilith have uh, other than just like YouTube talks by exorcists? Mm-hmm. Does Lilith have any other? Uh, uh, significance ironically and i think the reason i appreciated it and noticed it so much if anyone has read the recent book by dr carrie grass the anti-mary exposed dr grass talks about that lilith is a name that has long been associated with the the women's movement and with feminism and you see prominent you know music festivals and stuff under that name and so it was just interesting for me that the writers of The Chosen used that name. I don't know if they had done some really great research or, or what, but there is definitely a loaded It doesn't background. seem random, does it? No, there's a loaded background with that name in this particular context. It just is very powerful because it's almost saying she's living this life that's supposed to be very freeing and you know sexually liberating, and she's miserable. She's miserable. She doesn't know who she is. She's lost her goodness and her dignity and her identity. 
and the Lord knows who she is, and he identifies her, and he basically calls her into a new life. And it's just paralleling what we're talking about here, about this old version of feminism, what's supposed to be empowering, and supposed to be, this is who you really are, and you don't need all those other things that were put on you by uh, some men in a smoke-filled room somewhere. Yep. You know, you, you, you don't need that. Shun all of that. Um, and, 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 and then that becomes this sort of false identity that, that is lived and it's but it's supposed to be liberating absolutely and you know the the uh, tagline to the book healing the identity crisis caused by the women's movement that's really what I'm trying to highlight in the book is that modern woman you know is more stressed out more miserable uh, takes more antidepressants um, you know older white women take the most antidepressants of any category in our country and it's mm. the women that bought the lies of second wave feminism in the 70s and in the 80s it's not fulfilling the deepest desires of their hearts because they threw out all the guideposts that God gave us through through nature through our biology as to what's going to bring them fulfillment and joy and peace in their life those things were inconsequential to the pathways that they chose and they've walked these paths long enough now to realize it didn't lead them anywhere so one thing that comes to mind that I think our listeners, a lot of them might not be aware of, is Pope John Paul, when he spoke about feminism, he didn't say, I reject feminism as, and completely what he, he critiqued, like what you were talking about, like the, the teachings of like second wave feminism and, and various other feminist teachings, but he actually called for a new feminism. Which I think a lot of people don't recognize that because, you know, there are a lot of Catholics out there. They hear the word feminist and they immediately they're just like, ah, oh, you know, and they don't even want to hear anything else. But Pope John Paul, the Pope St. John Paul the Great yeah. called for a new feminism. Was that something that was impactful to you? Oh, my goodness. Yes. As as a young campus minister. When I first discovered that, you know, from 1995, Evangelium Vitae is where he uses that term, and he uses it in quotes, so air quotes, new feminism, it stopped me in my tracks, because I was somebody that was wanting to fit into the feminist movement. I was somebody that wanted, you know, female equality, and I just couldn't find a home in the movement, because every part of it was so contrary to my beliefs about, um, you know, the right to life and women's unique gifts and the, the female body being unique. Feminism in so many ways was contradictory to what I knew to be good, true, and beautiful. Right. Some things were, some things appealed, yes. but then you got the baggage that went along with it. Absolutely. It's like, well, if you want to agree to this, you've got to also take these things. Absolutely. So I wanted to be able to say, you know, equal pay for equal work. That's a very logical sort of yes. statement. However, it came right alongside with, you know, unrestricted abortion for everybody. And that didn't equate to being, you know, the same solution to the problems that I was seeing women face. And so when John Paul II used that term new feminism, and he really called the women of the church to embrace a new feminism. And he said, within that quote, it said, you know, reject models of male domination, um, reconcile people with life. Um, it's just the most beautiful quote. It really struck my heart and led me to really ponder what had been lost, you know, what the women of the church had um, 
had bought into, you know, even quietly not recognizing that we were following along with maybe a male dominated system. And then looking at what the rhetoric feminism would say is, well, it's, it's a, it's a patriarchy. The Catholic church is the patriarchy. And, and knowing that that's not true because as a woman being raised in the church, feeling that I had been supported and loved and empowered in ways that many of my sisters outside the church did not know. They did not know the goodness of their body. They did not know the goodness of their fertility. Yeah. You know, and I could see that it all wasn't adding up. And so um, I really dove into theology of the body. I really started to look at the complementarity relationship of man and woman and how this should work. And to your point a little earlier, you had talked about that we didn't, we don't really have guideposts any longer, you know, as to who we are and what we should do with our lives. And I came back to the very simple uh, premise that when we accepted a contraceptive culture, when we accepted a culture where our fertility no longer meant reproduction, we threw out all physical guideposts for purpose and for family and for really truly knowing oneself. Because if your body no longer serves the purpose it was created for, how do you know what your life should be directed towards? Which, when you take things to their logical or illogical conclusion, is why we have, and we'll talk about this in another episode, but we start having gender dysphoria and problems with who am I, mm-hmm. right? And you'll have men identifying as women, and you'll have women identifying as men, and you'll start to, it, it muddies the waters. Because we've taken man and woman to mean something so shallow as a gender stereotype, as something that, oh, well, I enjoy baseball, but I'm born in a female body, maybe I'm wrong. You know, we've yeah. taken these things that really do not actually speak to our identity as a man or a woman, as a child of God, and we've used them to create personas that I, feel comfortable. I think it's important for us to recognize, especially when it comes to John Paul II, that this new feminism is not something that you settle for. No. It's something that you excel to. And, and ultimately, I love his phrase, feminine genius. Mm. It, it speaks highly to what, it's like, it's a genius thing. It's part of God's plan in a genius way. Absolutely. I mean, it's Mulieris Dignitatum where he starts to spell out the unique qualities of women that are genius. You know, these things that are unique to women or that women excel at at a level higher than men. Uh, it, it's a genius part of our creation as man and woman and that this has to take center stage in order for us to have a culture of life, in order for us to have a culture that is focused on authentic social justice, a, a culture that really sees the needs of human. These genius attributes of empathy and relationality and hospitality, you know, as he kind of spells out what is unique to woman. Empathy. And empathy and emotive capacity is one of the things he talks about you know women have a high eq in comparison they tend to read the situation read the room understand what people are feeling and can pull that out if these are things that we are holding up as strengths instead of saying you know well they're just so emotional um which i can say 60 to 70 years ago those were things that were being said about women. Um, you know, at the time of second wave feminism, they, right. were, they were fighting back against some of that where it was, well, she's too emotional to be in the workplace. Well, now we see EQ trainings happening in the workplace because we're realizing you need that balance. You need to well, have and, a You know, even presence. in medical science, I remember seeing a movie about uh, like where, where you, you suddenly realize what a hysterectomy to me is right mm-hmm. and and the tie to the word hysteria uh-huh. right you start going yeah. like see it's been it's been wired into people to think that women are unstable yeah right that they're not capable 
And you know, at the end of all this, you mentioned that uh, uh, Mary of Magdala, that, that, that essentially she was a joyless person, you know, and, and I want to get spend a few minutes here talking about John Paul II and ultimately f- uh, finding joy when you find the new feminism. Yeah, I think for me, I talk a lot about that your physical body can really serve as a roadmap to finding the things that are truly joyful in your life. Even though society may be telling you these are not things you want to do or these are not things that matter. Um, when I became a mother, you know, I, I didn't think that had any I didn't think it had any bearing on my joy or my fulfillment in the world. I just kind of thought it was a box to check off, honestly. Right. I thought it would be one of the things that would be on my end of my life obituary, you know, but I also thought my career or my accomplishments or my other things would be just as important. And boy, was I, I was wrong. I was so wrong. And now looking back at it, I can see that each child, you know, each point of surrender, each point of trust in God, that I wasn't going to, you know, die in childbirth, that I was going to be able to do this, that I've grown in such deeper joy. And it's just a sense of belonging in this world as a beloved daughter of of God. And you're a mother of seven, by the way. Isn't that correct? I am. Yeah, I have seven. Wow. Yeah. I I remember back when I had seven. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're at nine, right? Yeah, that's right. But that's it. it. Nine and holding. We'll say that. (laughs) You know, one thing that uh, in terms of the mother-daughter relationship, uh, something that also comes to mind uh, is it seems like for generations and generations, hundreds and hundreds of years, mothers were able to tell their daughters what they learned from their mothers, what Mm. they learned from their mothers regarding men and sex and sexuality and relationships and for generations and generations that there was intergenerational wisdom that was received and shared and we've now starting in the 20th century it's there's been a cut uh, just a disconnect from where that, that's intergenerational wisdom has just been lost and so each generation of 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 child looks to their parents and says oh well you don't know what you're talking about yeah. you know and they do the same of course to their fathers as well you know and boys do it too you yeah. know uh and as a result we've lost a lot of intergenerational wisdom just within the, t- the tradition of the family domestic i just or the church domestic yeah. i'm curious what your thoughts might be there well, i would well. agree with that and i think we've actually lost some of this uh celebratory uh you know you know when a girl has her first period yeah we don't have any cultural celebratory events for that it's kind of this hushed up sort of thing that is a major transition point in her life and we don't talk about it it's quiet you don't have a party um but in some other cultures and over uh in history there have been celebrations where she's now welcomed into womanhood um and so i think there's just been so much related to our body that's been lost in in my mother's generation and her mother's generation this information was kind of taken from them and hidden in some ways. They didn't. They didn't know. Well, to- I mean, again, anytime that that guys would talk about what's going on with girls, it's like it's female problems yeah. or female issues or female, and then it'd be whispered. Yeah. Right. And I, I I'm not. It's it's going to be a, a, a while before I can shout things from the mountaintops like maybe that Leah Jacobson wants us to do. <laughs> but the reality is, I recognize the importance of celebrating the human body for what it is, mm-hmm. the gift that it actually is, and where that's going to lead us. Leah, this has been a great conversation. I look forward to more of these about uh, feminism and the new feminism and where that's going to lead us. Thank you for being with us today. Let's ask uh, the the oldest new feminist, Mary, to pray for us. <laughs> Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother, Mother of, of God, God, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, 
send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time. Thank you.